No other way. There was no other way for us to ever be restored to God but through this beautiful blessing of him sending his son. So we're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at the two announcements that angels make, um, one to Joseph and one to Mary. So we're going to be actually in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 this morning. Again, we're going to title this called No Other Way because we're going to celebrate the reality that we all had this huge God-sized problem That our sin and our rebellion has caused that only God can fix. That there's a chasm between the true living and holy God and sinners like us that only Jesus could bridge. And I know that for many of us, you heard this and it's a beautiful story, but may it be new and fresh to each one of us. There's no other way for us to have hope than the reality of a manger, the reality of a cross, the reality of an empty grave. And because of that reality, we are loved, we are forgiven, and we are free. We're going to focus on a few different things of who Jesus is uh, this Advent season. This week, we're going to focus on Jesus as the Son of God. No other way. The Son of God had to come for us. Next week, we're going to focus on Jesus as the Word of God. No other way than the Word of God coming and living, uh, dwelling among us. We're going to look at the third week. We're going to look at Jesus as the Lamb of God. And how we needed that sacrifice. And then lastly, the last week of Advent, we're going to look at Jesus as the Son of Man. And that reality as well. So no other way except for God himself. This God-sized problem in your life internally and our world externally can only be fixed through Jesus. So as we begin this Advent season, uh, we see that the two main characters that are going to take center stage are, are Joseph and Mary. And in Joseph and Mary, there's going to be an angel sent to both of them to tell them this incredible good news of what God is going to do with it. The prophet said that he would do and they didn't fully understand it, that God would send a Messiah. He would send an anointed one. He would send a prophet, a priest, a king that would come and rescue us. And the announcement at the fullness of time, the time had finally come for God to fulfill this promise. And he's going to make this announcement of seismic good news. And he's going to make it to the two main characters that are going to step on center stage in the beginning. It's Joseph and Mary. And he's going to uh, send an angel to talk to each one of them. Katie and I notice that as a married couple, and you want to communicate to another married couple, it's often important strategic to say, okay, what message do we have to tell each one? All right, because oftentimes a husband hears with husband ears, right? And a, and, a, and a wife can hear with, with female ears. And oftentimes the question is, who's communicating the message? And how is the message going to be communicated? Because we want to make sure that they understand. So I love the beauty of God's word. He just says that there's going to be a, a specific message that, that Mary has to know. Mary needs to know a message just for her. Why? Because... <laughs> Well, she's a virgin that's going to be with child. And her message is going to be a little bit different than Joseph's. Mary's going to be told, hey, Mary, you are a favored one of God. You are beloved, Mary. And God is going to do something absolutely miraculous through you. You're going to deliver yours and our Savior, Mary. And she's going to say, well, how's this going to be? I mean, I'm a virgin. I've never been with Joseph. I've never been with another man. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. God's going to say, this is a God thing. This is something you could try to figure out and explain. But let me tell you, this is a mystery with this. 
But Mary, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to conceive. And you're going to give birth to a baby. And it's going to be unlike any other. It's going to be this is like Emmanuel, God with us. You're going to give birth to one that's going to be called great. He's going to be the son of the most high. He's going to rescue his people. Mary, the message for you is you're the one that God's going to show up and going to come through you and through your line. Uh, God is going to provide this incredible gift. And then to Joseph. I love the fact that uh, the angel of the Lord is going to come to Joseph and it's going to say, hey, Joseph, by the way, your fiance Mary, uh, she's pregnant. And I know that you know that this is not your child. But listen, hey, hold on. Don't, don't, don't go crazy. Don't, this is, hey, as scandalous as this feels, Joseph, as bad as this feels, as awful as you feel right now that your fiance is pregnant with somebody else's child, and have, although you have every right in this culture to divorce her and to bring her and have her stoned for what has happened to her, don't do any of that. Because I got really good news for you. That Mary's not scandalous. She's holy. She's, she's awesome. She's been set apart. Sinner that needs a savior. But this is God's doing. That child in her, it's not another man's. This is, this is God's child. What seemingly seems scandalous is instead marvelous. But the message wasn't just for Mary and Joseph. The message was for us too. And we got to see this great message of good news that's accessible to all of us, that's relevant to all of us. The beautiful thing about Christmas is it's timeless. And the gospel message is timeless as well. This morning, with no other way but the Son of God coming as Emmanuel to save us from our sins, we're going to see three things. It's going to be right in this announcement that this Jesus, he has to be great. This Jesus, he has to be accessible. And this Jesus, he has to be relevant. So let's go to God's word. And again, I I just marvel at how beautiful God is that he would give us two stories, uh, two two different instances so we could see the beauty and the depth of this reality. The first one is in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. And then we're going to turn to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 1, beginning again in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Now we'll see uh, Luke chapter 1 as the announcement is made to Mary. Luke 1, 
beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Again, importance of the house of David for both of them. He's connected and and promised this is the king that was to come. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not fear, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And in this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the incredible gift of your son. But God, I'm also incredibly grateful for the gift of your wisdom. How wise was it of you to not only send your son, but to send an angel to both Mary and Joseph to announce the good news. I know as a man that they would need to hear from you to understand what was happening to Mary. Why in the world would she be pregnant? And God, I thank you for the wisdom and the grace that you spoke to Joseph. But God, I thank you for the wisdom and grace that you spoke to Mary. She had to be terrified. Scripture said she was. When you see an angel, how can you not be? And here she would be the chosen one to bear your son. God, thank you for the grace and the mercy of coming to her so tenderly, so powerfully. And letting her know the truth. But God, would you also give us that grace and tenderness? Would you come to each one of us and show us the reality of your love and grace that you have for us in the birth of your son? God, would you give us ears to hear your voice this morning? Oh, Father, would you give us minds to understand your word this morning? Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth this morning? And God, would you give us feet to walk in a manner of your word, your your name and your word this morning. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain this incredible good news of that great son of yours, Jesus. Would you use those things to make us more like him? God, we pray this, that you and you alone would receive glory. We would receive joy and challenge. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the truth is, is I really don't like scary movies too much. Do you like them? 
I mean, how many of y'all like scary movies? I mean, to me, I'm too much of a scaredy cat to like scary movies, you know? Who likes nightmares? Who likes to be terrified? But the scariest movie I ever saw, and my kids make fun of me to this day saying, Dad, it's not a scary movie. I'm like, yes, it was. When I saw it in 1975 as a 10-year-old, I was absolutely terrified of the scariest movie ever. And now they see it and they laugh at me. Anybody guess what it was? Jaws! Yes! You know, it was terrifying. Just hearing the music was terrifying for a 10-year-old. Somehow my sister thought it would be a good idea. She's about six, seven years older than I am. I didn't go to many movies with my sister, but somehow I went to Jaws with my sister. Thank God she was there because really I just hid myself in her the whole time. The movie starts playing that music, you know, here. And I mean, I live nowhere near the ocean. I had no threat that a shark was ever going to get me. But after that night, again, I don't know what was going on with our family, but my grandparents were visiting. And I had the pleasure, or my grandfather had the distinct pleasure, somehow, of sleeping in my bed. And so here I am as a 10-year-old, scared to death, having seen the scariest movie ever, now sleeping with Grandpa, who would want to say to me, hey, Jeffrey, can you roll over? It's a little warm in here. Grandpa, I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm terrified. I don't know if I took a shower that year. You know, our, our folks have a cottage in one of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, and I would go there, and I would be terrified of sharks. Now, let me tell you, there is no salt water. There are no sharks. There are no snakes. I mean, it's beautiful upstate New York, as the McWilliamses know. You don't have to be terrified of Jaws. But I was terrified because it was really something scary. I remember in that movie, there's a really interesting scene with Sheriff Brody and the guys were out and they were putting in the chum in the water to try to get this huge 20, 25 foot shark to come up. And all of a sudden, uh, the sheriff sees the shark. He says, oh my goodness. You remember the line? We're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat. This is not big enough. (laughs) We're in trouble. We got a problem here. That thing's going to eat us all. Well, the reality of Christmas, let me see if I can make this leap, right? You you guys ready for this? The reality is this, is we are caught in the jaws of sin and death. All of humanity has been. We're just caught in that reality. We we have been separated to the depths from the God who has made us. And what we need is not a bigger boat. We need an amazing Savior. We need an amazing Savior, a Savior that's truly great, a Savior that's truly accessible and a Savior that's truly relevant for all of us. There's so much I could say on this. But let's start this way. Jesus, I love it. He says to Mary, he says to Mary listen, the one, he's going to be great. He is going to be great. He's going to be the Son of the Most High. He's going to be holy. This is going to be great. He has to be great. He has to be great. And I'm going to look at just a few, two things with this. He has to be great in his love for sinners. I mean, the, the, the one who comes for us has got to really love us. Because why? We're not very lovable naturally. We, we, we have all kinds of brokenness and issues. But the reality of our great God is he has a great love for sinners. And the greatness of that love can be seen in time. 
It says actually even before time, Ephesians 1.4 that will tell us that, that before the foundation of the earth, that God would choose us in Christ Jesus to be his. He's basically set a love on us that's eternal. Think about that for a minute. Just stop and pause about this. There's never been a time where God did not love his people. Do you think for a nanosecond there'll be a time where he'll stop? Do you wonder about God's love for you? Do you really think that there's some mischief that you could get yourself in or there's some circumstances that you could do that all of a sudden the eternal loving God is going to say, wait a minute, I've had enough? No. The greatness is seen in God's love for you and me. It's eternal in time. He has loved us. He will love us. He'll never stop loving us. It's also seen in the distance we're willing to go. How far did you go for Thanksgiving? Did you just open up your home? Did you have other loved ones go? We made our yearly trek. We've been doing it for like the last eight years up to uh, North Carolina, the mountains of North Carolina. Man, there's something about the mountains, isn't there not? It was beautiful. It was incredible. But I love you enough we came back. But we had loved ones. We had folks there from Denver. My sister came from the Bronx. We had folks from Jacksonville. I mean, the distance it was traveled. Why? Because there's a love of family. There's a love to be together. And again, in all families, there's still brokenness and strife. But the distance that God would come for us, that Jesus, the eternal one, would leave heaven in the rightful place that he has with all the glory and the angels and everyone worshiping him. How much did he love us that he would travel from heaven to earth? He would travel from the glories of heaven to the absolute filth of a manger. I mean, that's a long way to go. He would go from, from the eternal one to become flesh, become man in the distance to say, I love you and I'm for you to gather us. He, he came that distance, ready for this, to gather us as family. I went to Thanksgiving to be with family, but he came with a whole different thing, gather family. Do you guys, Lefevers know anything about family? Gathering families. That's why Jesus would come, the distance but also it's got to be love in time, love in distance, love in practice. I mean, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he practiced that love, that he would give us his only son, the greatest gift he could give us. Romans 5, 8, that God would demonstrate his own love for us, that while we're still sinners, on our worst day, Christ would die for us. It's love in time. It's love in distance. It's love in practice. The reality is he will be great because our God is a God of love. And he would put on that flesh to come and rescue us. No greater love has anyone ever known than for one to lay his life down for his friends. And that was what Christ has done. The greatness of God, the greatness of Christmas is celebrating the greatness of his love. But he had to be more than just a lover. He also had to be a fighter. <laughs> he had to be a fighter that would battle ours and God's greatest enemies, sin and death. He had to have the ability to save sinners. Because it says he will be great and he will be holy, meaning he'll be sinless. He'll be separate from us. He will be unique from us, and he'll be without sin. And so what makes it clear in both Mary and Joseph's stories, they both ask, how can this be? In both of the stories, both the announcements say that, as Isaiah foretold, a virgin will be with child. We need a virgin birth. Because why? We need a sinless Savior. Because he can't be great, watch this, he can't be great and he can't be holy unless he's born in a unique, amazing way of a virgin, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Now, now people say, like, hey, you Christians, you guys are crazy. 
I mean, you really believe this virgin birth nonsense? I mean, isn't that kind of like not very scientific? I mean, is it really important for us to hold on to the virgin birth? And let me tell you something. All of Christianity is wrapped around that reality. If the story is that Joseph and Mary did what folks do and conceived Jesus naturally, then here's what we have, a sinful Joseph and a sinful Mary, and there's no way they could produce a holy great child. And if that's what we have, we have one who can't pay for his own sins, let alone ours. You can't have one who, who could fulfill the law. You can't have one who could die the death that we deserve to die. He has to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. You can't take it out of the story and have Christianity be Christianity. It's beautiful. Why? Because you need a Savior who's great. You need a Savior that's holy. And you need one who is sinless. And that's where we sit with Jesus. Why? He had to be fully man as well to fulfill the law. God gave man the law. He had to fulfill it. But he had to be fully God to atone for our sins. And no one else could bear the wrath of God except God himself. That's the beauty of Jesus. He had to be great. And part of that greatness was that virgin birth. He was great in the way he loved and he was great in the way he saved, the way he fulfilled, the way he paid. Every day of his life, greatness. Greatness and meekness. Greatness and humbleness. Greatness like this world has never seen it. But the second thing is, is he had to be accessible. Not only great, but accessible. The best stuff they usually put, where, where does the best stuff go you guys would not know this. I know you would not know this. So let's just hypothetically talk about some of the people that might know. Where do they put the best drinks in the bar? The top shelf, someone said. <laughs> I want a top shelf. Why? Because it's up on the best, the top shelf stuff. Why? It's not accessible to the common folks. The common folks, just give them whatever. Jesus is the best. But here's the reality, the beautiful thing about Christmas. It's not something that was put on the shop top shelf. It's the cookies that are put on the bottom shelf for everyone to have access to. Emmanuel, a God with all of us. And how far would God have to send his son for him to find us in our darkness and our brokenness? It starts with a manger. How low can it go for God to put on flesh and be placed, the bread of life be placed in a feeding trough? The bread of life, the eternal God to be placed in a feeding trough, why? So sinners like us can have access. You see, the beautiful thing is that the religious people couldn't figure out. I just read Luke 15 today. It's just another great story. The religious leave like, what's wrong with this guy? He just hangs out with like broken people. What's wrong with this guy? Does he not know that he's, his reputation is going to be tarnished? Because all he does is seem to be a friend of sinners. This Jesus, I mean, he touches lepers. I mean, he crosses over all kinds of social boundaries. And he should, what in the world? Why? Because he's Emmanuel, a God with us. And a God who's us is accessible to all of us. And you can never say there's never a sin that could keep you away from God's grace in Christ Jesus. There's never a location to keep you away from God's grace. There's never a situation in your life that can keep you away. Our God is Emmanuel, a God with us, and he's accessible to us 24-7 every day of the year. That's the reality. Why he would come is a great God to be accessible to all of us. Emmanuel, accessible for all. And then right for all. There's no other Savior. 
In my family growing up, we had a, a couple of uh, traditions, some that we want to pass on, some we don't. But I remember that it was always, especially when you gave a gift to a nameless member of our family who might be here in the audience today, named my father. But let's keep that under wraps, okay? But he always had the same funny little quib every time you, you gave him a present. It would always be the same. And you'd always be told, hey, Dad, this is for you. And he'd always say, would I now tell my kids, pass it on, did you keep the receipt? In other words, you might be lousy at choosing gifts, right? And you might have no idea what size I am and who knows what color tie I'm getting this year and who knows what great thing I'm going to get. And by the way, my kids gave me a birthday present, a late one. I got wireless Apple earpods. Kids are getting better giving gifts, you know? I'm looking for an iWatch for Christmas. I'm just throwing it out there right now. But did you keep the receipt? The keep the receipt was a humorous way to say, well, this present may not be right. When you're my size, the worst present you could ever get, when you open up a box and it says one size fits all, put it away. <laughs> they didn't make gloves for these hands. My kids say, you're Mickey Mouse. Hi there. <laughs> you know? I mean, they're all the same. Eye. Tracy, it's not that funny. <laughs> But seriously, they didn't make things one size fits all for me. I mean, they just didn't. If I put it on, you'd firstly say, take that off immediately. But Jesus is the right size for all. And he didn't have to come with a receipt because you never would want to give it back. And the beautiful thing is this. He came for you. He came for you. He made you just the way he wanted you. Yeah, sin has broken the story and there's some messed up things there. But he's the right size. Don't, don't, let, some, don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let your flesh lie to you that, that you're just not enough. He's Emmanuel. He is great and he is accessible and he's right for you. But he also has got to be relevant, right? I mean, it, it, I love the fact that when he, he came and he talked to Mary, he says, now listen, this is, this is the promise of Messiah. This is the promised king. In this line of David, there was a, the promise. And it's crazy. The promise of the king David that would come in the Old Testament, it's like, how in the world can a king of Israel show up that's going to be a blessing to all nations? How in the world can this king rule over all things? <coughs> it's only because of Jesus. It's the only way. His kingdom will have no end. You know what that means? His kingdom's relevant today. His kingdom is relevant today. It will be relevant tomorrow. It was relevant yesterday. And we pray that it comes with more reality and beauty. It's timeless truth. Okay, another question. How many of you all right now have a home phone? Karen Meggs, you have a home phone. Yes, I Good for you. Does it actually plug into the wall? Yes, it does. You have... <laughs> You have a home telephone number? Yes, I do. <laughs> Other than Karen Meggs, the reality is it's amazing. They don't even ask usually what's your home phone number. But you remember the old days, you give them a home number, you give them a business number, and then you gave them a pager number, and then if you got cool enough, you had a mobile number. I mean, you had more numbers. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to me as I talk to my kids. It's like, yeah, we used to have a phone in our home, and the only way we communicated 
is on a wall or some kind of phone that was plugged in somewhere. And it, didn't, it wasn't even cordless. You, know, you had like one spot to talk to your friends. You ready for this? Everybody had the same phone. Get off the phone. I'm expecting a call. You know, it's, it's just home phone numbers for other than Miss Megs here really aren't very relevant anymore. But the reality is Christmas is the most re- relevant reality in our lives today, tomorrow, forever. It's relevant. Emmanuel, Jesus has come to earth and he's coming again. And the reality is, is it's not just something that we do that's nostalgic. It's something that we do that's relevant as we celebrate God's great love for sinners like us. God's great work to save sinners like us. God's love and the work of salvation, it's accessible to all of us. And it's the most relevant thing in our lives of who we are in Christ. This morning, we're going to go to the table. And as we go to the table, we're going to be reminded of the bread that was broken, that Jesus would come as Emmanuel, God with us, and in his greatness, he would be broken. Now watch this, that through his wounds, through his brokenness, we could be healed. We could be made whole. Through the shedding of his blood, our sins could be paid for. We could be covered in his righteousness. We celebrate God You are such an amazing lover, and your son is great. And we celebrate as we tangibly taste of the bread and the the wine that you are accessible to sinners like us. And we celebrate the reality that you are relevant even for us today. We're going to come to the table, and as we do, let me pray and prepare your heart to meet again in, in God's spirit, the reality of his son. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the beauty of the Christmas season, the beauty of your son, that he truly is the great one, the holy one who has come for us. And oftentimes in a world that greatness and and holiness, they're so not accessible. But God, by your grace and mercy and the work of your son, Jesus and the gospel, the good news is accessible to all. Would you draw us to that reality for your glory? That God may Jesus and the gospel, our triune God, be more more relevant in our lives. May we live our life saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you come and meet us again at the table, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.